Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael, and I am back today with co-host Tom. Tom, say hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. And we are here for faculty meeting 141. So this is our continuing sort of retrospective of the original faculty meetings, a.k.a. Dungeon Talks, where we're going to revisit those older episodes and maybe see what, what is new about them. So today we're taking a look at faculty meeting two, two. or dungeon, dungeon talk. Dungeon number, talk. Number two. But before we get into that, one thing we always like to do is talk about why we are here. So the goal for these faculty meetings is that Tom and I are going to have a conversation. We're going to talk about some role-playing game stuff. And we hope that somewhere in this conversation, there will be a nugget, at least one, that you will be able to pull out and use at your table for your game. But we understand that everything we say and do just our opinions, and it may not work for everyone every time. But there is one piece of advice that we do feel is pretty universal. And Tom, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you are playing, which system, which rules or edition, nope, no matter game, whatever game you were playing, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, as long as you and your friends at the table are having a good time, you're doing it right. So with that out of the way, Tom, take it over, sir. Uh, yeah, okay, for sure. And Mike, I will say, you kind of said a retrospect. These have been like a time machine, going back and listening to these old podcasts. You all are talking about like D&D Next, and you're talking about the play test and everything. This is before I was playing RPGs, so it just feels like I'm like being inserted into this strange world that I never knew about. So it's it's been, it's been weird and fun. So, all right, so anyway, before we really get rolling, we want to talk about just some, some RPG news and what we've been up to. So, uh, before we hit the news, let's just talk about some games we're playing. Uh, Michael, Shadow Spawns on Twitch right now. Shadow Spawns is is this new Thirteenth Age campaign that we started last, actually last, no, not before last was our fourth session. Should have been fifth. We had technical issues, whatever. Uh, but I've, you know, again, anybody who's listening to this for a while knows that I really enjoy Thirteenth Age. It, it, if it wasn't for D and D Fifth Edition coming out right when it did, Thirteenth uh, Age probably would be the game that I'm playing regularly because I really enjoy that game. And uh, last night was really fun. So, so the Shadow Spawns or Shadows Pawns is a bit of a play on words because our characters don't themselves don't know if they are Shadow Spawns or if they are Shadows Pawns. Because they have okay. this sort of shadow energy around them, and it's going to continue to get worse, and they don't know if they are being controlled or they control it. But one of the characters has uh, their background, their one unique thing, is that they have memories that have been stolen from them. And sometimes they get new memories implanted, so they can't really trust their memory. But I have all the players give me NPCs that I can play with from their background. So Brad, who's playing this character, has faulty memories. He has unreliable memories, but he gave me this list of NPCs. So in the last session, I had this lady introduced that was a former friend of his. But I started playing her more like they used to be romantically linked. So she was getting, you know, very clearly she was attracted to him. So they kind of went off on their own to have like this date. And then in the middle of the date... She attacked him. Okay. And tried to and tried to kill him because it's not actually the person because he didn't remember her. He was just trying to play along because he didn't want to offend her. So she was using the fact that he didn't know who she was against him. I was able to split the party and then she tried to kill him. And technically he went to death saves before she ran away. So she thinks he's dead. 
And then in the process of this, his shadow, which is the only one so far that has been acting like anthropomorphic, like his shadow moves and does stuff on its own, was killed by the other characters. So currently, Brad's character has no shadow and is thought to be dead by this lover slash rival that he doesn't remember. Wow. Uh, so we got some real strange interpersonal relationships going on there. It was fabulous. It was a. It was probably the best session of the game so far. Yeah, it sounded like your guys' conversation was just like, and then on Twitter and everything, sound like you can tell when somebody has like a really good game. Everyone just feels more excited about it. So you guys definitely had some energy going. Yeah, I'm very happy with it. I always make feel good whenever I see people having a good time playing a game. Uh, we So on my end, I've got a couple different games going. We've got our Ghost of Salt Marsh game on the stream. And then in my personal, very chill, un, uh, unrecorded game, I'm running a Forbidden Lands, which we played that last night. Players ate a, a mummified heart of a long dead necromancer. So it's going like any good Forbidden Lands <laughs> game should go. Uh, but then on the Ghost of Salt Marsh front, it's really interesting so we have actually we've played more than 30 sessions in this campaign like this is a long term campaign at this point our we're at level 11 or 12 our goal is to hit 20 all right we're gonna take it the salt marsh book only goes up to 11 so we have like and i haven't used half of it all right so we have we long ago diverged from i mean i've got we're, we're we entered our newest arc where it's kind of a tom trope where i always introduce vampires in my game <laughs> There's actually a vampire in the ghost in Ghost of Salt Marsh. It's like a a vampire that was trapped underneath the building. And long a long time ago in our campaign, early on, my obviously your players they do this kind of stuff, and they uh, they release the vampire. So ever since then, it's kind of been something that's in the background, and I've been kind of playing him up as one of the main villains. And so finally, his arc is here. And so they're like now Ghost of Salt Marsh. It's like or Salt Marsh is like trapped and there's all sorts of vampire chaos pirates that are all running around so we have we jumped the shark uh a long time ago so we're having a whole lot of fun with that but i'm I'm definitely struggling as we continue to go up in level because i man fifth edition gets real wacky once you get high level and it is i wouldn't know (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, it's tough because you're trying to and if anybody has tips to come, come under our discord and tell me how to run high level D&D because it's so hard because I don't like to prep a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and so if you're doing these really high level encounters, like you have to prep a lot in order to make them feel both balanced and not take forever. So that's kind of what I'm dealing with because I don't prep a lot. Either they're completely unbalanced or they uh, take forever. So that's basically what we're dealing with right now. Because I'm like, yeah, all of a sudden all my players are now teleporting. I, I didn't know what to do. Okay. Yeah. All right. That, that works. Sounds like fun to me. Yeah. It, also, we ran into a funny situation where one of my players, Jake, realized that he's got accumulated all these cool artifacts. And he's got all these new powers. But he never got any additional armor since mm. like level one so he just it's just kind of clicked he's like why am i always getting hit and then he's like oh my ac is still 15 and it's like <laughs> and you're on level 11 and he's a fighter so it's just like it's funny uh but anyway yeah that's what we got going on in our games uh but some news yep. uh so we got some news on the convention front yes there's a couple couple bigger announcements uh so game hole con 
and Gen Con have both announced they will be coming back this year, 2021, in a physical IRL format. Game Hall Con, I don't have a whole lot of information. I don't have a whole lot of information on any of them. Uh, but Game Hall Con, I think, is it that one that's in like Wisconsin? Yeah, it's a smaller convention that is really focused on uh, D&D for the most part and attracts a lot of uh, like Wizards of the Coast freelancers, employees, and a lot of streamers. But it's really small. So. Oh, I mean, well, it's, it's huge compared to a Catacomb. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. tiny compared to, to Gen Con. But they have announced that they are going to come back uh, IRL. They're going to have uh, badges opening around July, which for me is actually kind of cool because I was thinking that our Kickstarter, assuming we are going to have a real-life Catacon this year, would probably be uh, right around that same time. So I'm really interested to see how they do initially because I, I don't know the people who run that well, but I have had contact with them. We've, we've shared some stuff. So I'm hoping to reach out to them and just say, hey, based off of your badge sales now for a week, where do you think you're going to fall attendance? Are you expecting a full 100% from, you know, your two years ago? Or are you looking at 50%? Because what I'm, because again, I, I threw out a poll about a catacon, not to make this all about a catacon again. Mm-hmm. But it was roughly about 55, 56% of the people who responded said they would still plan on coming. So we may be looking at in a catacon, even if we have a real one, that's like half the size of two years previous, yeah. which would be, you know, doable and fine and fun. But it's different than what we, I, I would need to plan for that. But Gen Con has moved their date. So they're going to have a real life convention September 16th through 19th this year with a capped attendance, though there was no specifics on what that means. But they're looking at doing uh, like a hybrid version. So there'll be online events that same weekend, as well as uh, the, the physical events in Indianapolis. And they're also going to do a whole bunch of pop-up events, which different stores can basically run their own local weekend gaming convention that will be associated with Gen Con. And then I don't think we've announced it before, but Origins moved their date. So they're September 30th through October 3rd. So they, are they going to... Fa- I wasn't sure if Origins was like going or not. So is it going? We do, so we don't know. So they moved the dates to then, but they still haven't officially announced what that's gotcha. going to be yet. So I think they knew that they wouldn't be able to have it early in the year like normal. So we could convince, uh, uh, potentially have Game Hall Con origins and gen con all happening within about six weeks of each other whoa which is a lot and then a catacon again if we have one it would be the weekend or two weekends after game hole con yeah so there's there's and that, that was one of my biggest fears for a catacon this year is that that a lot of these other conventions wouldn't cancel they would move and even though we're late in the year, we might get pressed by all these other yeah. bigger conventions, which is kind of what looks like what's happening. So uh, more details to come for those of you who care about a catacon. It'll, so, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm very curious to see if you didn't buy a badge for Gen Con in 2020, you're probably not going this year just because the way they're doing it is it's limited. And the first limited badges are opened up to the people who bought badges in 2020. So people bought badges in 2020 before all the COVID stuff broke. So there's like thousands of people who are going to be queued up to buy this stuff. So I'm curious to see what they do. Right. Uh, also, uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting because yeah, we have a vaccine rollout and stuff, but something like as big as Gen Con, you just don't know with still a lot of people gathered, and you don't know if everybody's got the vaccine it's just still going to be a 2021 is still going to be a really it's going to be a non-normal year right. still especially for the bigger conventions and then like you said with us kind of getting squashed at the end a lot of people may not want to go to a whole lot of conventions this year like they 
potentially would in previous years. So yeah. we'll we'll just I think we'll see. Right. Well, and the, the thing that concerns me, and that's I just don't know yet, is I will be have been vaccinated by then. I already had my first shot. I will have my second shot just a couple, like a week and a half or something. But I don't think the science is set yet on how I would be a vector for infection for my kids who aren't going to be eligible for the vaccine until probably next year because yeah. they're under 16. So because the science just hasn't, from what I can tell, hasn't settled on if I'm vaccinated, can I still be a carrier? So if I am, not only, and that doesn't mean I can't necessarily go, but that would mean if I could go to Gen Con, I would have to come back and I would have to quarantine completely segregated from my family for two weeks before I would know if I could infect them. So I wouldn't be worried about me going. I'm vaccinated. I, I, I would feel comfortable going. I don't know if I feel comfortable going, not knowing yet what that would mean for me to come back to try to reintegrate with my family. So that's the thing I'm still waiting on more information about is if I'm vaccinated, can I be a carrier? Yeah. For sure. I think I think we're going to see Gen Con is going to be real interesting. I am not going to go. And I'm very curious, though, to, I'm curious to see how the how the organizers uh, do this. So. Yeah, definitely. It's very interesting. And I don't know about press badges. I sent an email to Stacy. Uh, she's the one who handles all that stuff for us. And I don't know. I haven't heard back yet. So because I again, generally, I get to go with a press badge. If they're doing capped attendance, are they still going to do press badges? Or are they going to be limited? Because, you know, we're a very small outlet. I, I feel very lucky every year that I get one, but with limited attendance, I may not qualify. So who knows? But anyways, we need to move on. Uh, you also wanted to touch on this new Kickstarter by Monty Cook Games. Yeah, real quick. It's not really just about the Kickstarter. I think it's interesting that so Monty Cook Games is releasing a new digitally focused game called The Darkest House. And the reason I wanted to bring this up, I think it's interesting because it is a it's a RPG supplement made specifically for 5e and cypher system but they say you can use it with any system uh they're they're still working on those details but with that said it is a product that is specifically made to be played used remotely so they mentioned like slack and zoom or discord so it's these it's interesting to as we start to see more digitally focused tools the other one that comes to mind is burn bright which was an rpg by a bunch of designers who is is folk for roll 20 that was just focused on Roll20. So it's not like you can just get a book of it. It's rules that are made for the digital tabletop. So I think it's going to be cool to see uh, more of these. Uh, only if, if they would have if they would have came out like a year ago, they would be making bank. But uh, I think it's interesting to see all these things. Plus, we're seeing so many new digital tabletops. Free League announced full compatibility with their rule set for uh, the Foundry, So, which is really cool. So it's just... It's just neat to see some some other players in the game other than Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds. I think that's better for us as consumers. So uh, uh, I think we'll see. I just I wanted to point out that, hey, Monty Cook's got a new big Kickstarter for a digitally focused game. So I think it'll be cool to see how this works out for them. I have backed so many of Monty Cook games, Kickstarters, and given them so much money, but I almost never play their games. Yeah. And I'm okay with that because I, I love the fact that Monty Cook games exist. I think they're really good people. And I think they make really innovative products, and I'm happy to support them. But I also can't afford it. As I talked before, uh, my Kickstarter budget pretty much was taken this year for uh, trying to get Action 12 Cinema published. So I have not backed their last one. I'm not backing this one. But it's not because I don't think it should be backed. They don't mm-hmm. need my money, and I just can't afford it right now. Yeah. All right, so let's move into the to the meat and the potatoes of the show here. And again, the, the goal, at least for the, for the foreseeable future, is we're going to be looking back to look ahead. 
And so you're doing the majority of this work here. You're actually re-listening to our original episodes and pulling out talking points. But I wanted to ask you just kind of in big picture, you know, you kind of tease it at the top. This is like a time machine for you. So just sort of like maybe big picture before we dive into some topics, what is it like going back and listening to not even just any podcast, but our podcast, me as an infant podcaster 12, 10, 12 years ago? On episode two, was there anything about that experience just as a whole you wanted to talk about? It was, yeah, no, it was weird because, like, I think, so a lot of people know that I met you in Cincinnati at a small meetup, and then I started after you, like, you sold your podcast so hard to me. Sales pitch, yeah. I was like this, I have never played an RPG, I'm just at this local meetup to say, hey, what is this thing about? And Michael's like, yeah, this is my podcast. I have a convention. Come to these woods and you'll play some games with us. I'm like, whoa, chill out, man. Um, So anyway, I started listening to it. So this is what's weird because going back and listening to these old episodes, it kind of reminds me of back when I first started playing games. Uh, Just because uh, back then faculty meetings were huge for the RPG Academy. Uh, And then also, I'm not sure if, uh, I'm not sure if like your 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 play style has changed at all but i think it's interesting hearing you talk about these uh table topics a little more i don't know it just it takes me back to the time when i thought you were like the premier authority on tabletop oh, rpgs never, so never I, I yeah i feel like my style as a dm has changed substantially but even then you know as someone who was trying to get more people into the hobby I knew that the way I had always played games maybe wasn't the best version. Those were like my version. So I was trying to be, you know, very positive and inclusive and welcoming, even if the games I particularly were in may not have fallen under those those umbrella terms themselves. Uh, not to say I was like lying, but just understanding that this is what I've always done, but maybe this wasn't the way it should have always been done. Yeah. Uh, so again, it's just kind of a weird point for me a place for me but uh, I went back like maybe three years ago and I re-listened to all these episodes so it's not like I haven't heard them since they came out but it's been several years but I went there and I re-listened to like maybe the first 20 uh and it was just kind of a nice little revisit for me you know uh Evan was a huge part of my life for a long time he's a the, the RPG Academy would not exist if it was not for Evan mm-hmm. and so it's nice just to hear him again talking about things and you know just sort of rekindling that that excitement it was it was a fun revisit and i have tried to contact evan recently and i haven't had any luck i don't know if maybe the email i have isn't good for him anymore he's not on facebook and um he didn't respond so i don't know if he didn't get the email or not but but in case anybody was wondering like evan and i didn't have a falling out we were still as friends when he left the podcast as we were before the podcast started but his work life situation changed he has since moved. He's in New York. The last I heard, he moved to New York with Home Depot, which is where he and I met. So he's just so far outside my life that we would have no reason to talk other than just me wanting to reconnect. And so far, I can't get a hold of him. So if you're out there listening, Evan, I'd love to talk to you again, buddy. Oh, that'd be super cool to bring him on. We could do a retrospect podcast together. That'd be awesome. So uh, the one other thing is that I wanted to say about going back listening to these. You've definitely played way more games since then you, oh yes yeah so i know that you still frame a lot of things through the lens of dungeons and dragons but you also now still throw in all sorts of other things and new experiences more uh more uh role-playing uh story focused games but yeah back then it was just 
it was Dungeons and Dragons. And I mean, it was called Dungeon Talk. So, I mean, at that time, I don't know that I could say other than like, I, you know, I played a little bit of Marvel, the TSR Marvel game that I still like to play, which was my second RPG. And I probably played, I mean, less than 10 sessions other than Marvel or D&D was something besides those two. Like it was 95% D&D, D&D, D&D. I played through all the editions. Now I probably play more other stuff than D&D. Yeah. Like, if, you know, just 100 games, I'd say. 70 of them are not D&D at this point. It's a huge change. Still love D&D. It's still my favorite game, I think. Yeah. But uh but just my experiences are so different. For sure. Uh so let's talk so the episode. So this episode is so the rotating dungeon master. So you at at the time you and Evan were part of a campaign with Nico and Rob and Evan was going to be going back to school. So you were kind of at a point where do you Evan's campaign was going to be finishing up, but it was like, do you, Michael, want to pick up the reins of Evan's game and continue on? Or do you want to start a new game? So what I want to ask you first is I'm sure I'm going to find out. But do you remember, did you wind up picking up the reins of Evan's game or did you start a new one? So I don't have a clear memory of all this, but I do not think I picked up his game. Okay. I'm almost positive that I ended up doing something. I think, if I remember correctly, that's where Made Men, because it, it's it's not very long from where you are when Made Men starts. Okay. And I'm pretty sure that that's what happened as we transitioned to the Made Men campaign, which again, it was supposed to be a one shot, but everyone enjoyed it so much that we stuck with it. And that's where the whole actual play came from. Like it was, it was supposed to be a... a, a try a test of the next system because we were playing 3.5 of the game i was running at the time and the, the play test went so well everyone's like yeah screw what you're doing before let's just keep with this and that's okay. where made men came from so but with that said though listeners that does not mean michael has just said he didn't pick up the reins but that doesn't mean michael doesn't have experience in a rotating dungeon master situation because in that podcast you mentioned that you were part of a previous game that mm-hmm. you were part of a rotating dungeon master uh cast so i've I've done two of them that i can recall pretty clearly yes so So there was like yeah go ahead and tell us what tell us about the the campaigns the campaigns then so the first one i did was with my group in cleveland uh, which i know i've mentioned several times it was probably the longest running continuous group other than the academy that i was ever part of we played pretty consistently for several years together and all of us, well, most of us had experience with being a DM. So we decided we would start a game and we, we had it based upon that we were all part of this mercenary group called the Brotherhood of Ken. It was spelled K-U-N because it's fantasy. And this was basically like a good version of like a mercenary company. So we were, that was, that gave us the framework for why we would have characters that would drop in and out. We would go off on these missions that should be like one or two shot missions and we would come back and then a new player could join. And, you know, think of like so many TV shows that you probably have seen those action adventure TV shows where it's like a cast of characters, except we always had one that would rotate out whoever was DMing. And the idea for that was that it all made a lot of sense. It gave us a really good framework to make sure we're still heroes. We're still playing the good guys, but we could have these sort of independent, unrelated to the larger story adventures. We still had, if I remember correctly, I was still quote unquote, the main DM. So like my story was going to be the overarching story that, 
you know, again, think like an X-Files type of thing where, you know, every time I came back in, it would be more of the mythology episodes and everyone else would be doing these sort of one-off adventure episodes. But it, it worked well. It worked okay. But there still was some very much we're not on the same page because myself included, sometimes we took some pretty big liberties when we were running the game <laughs> and it caused things to fracture. Yeah. Uh, including one point when we jumped like 20 years into the future okay. and the world had been like sundered and there were like oceans where there hadn't been oceans before. Yeah, it was it uh, it got a little messy pretty quickly, I would say. So did you then. So how much. How much communication, like, did you work then with the other dungeon master then? Like, did you guys talk, communicate? Not nearly enough. So, okay. so essentially there would be a warm handoff. So we would know who the next DM was, and, and they would always have the opportunity. Like, we did this several times that worked pretty well. They would say, hey, can you introduce this NPC? Because I want everyone else to think that this was your NPC, but it's actually going to be a key to my stories. Uh, so, you know, basically the DMs, even though we were almost, there was like five or six of us and like four of us were DMs, we still were trying to keep some secrecy behind like what was ours and what was theirs and where, you know, where the mystery was going. So again, Rob would say, Hey, can you introduce this? And in my game, I would introduce them as if it was my NPC. But then when he took over, they would be in a very important NPC to his, his story that he told next. But we we did not have a clear roadmap of where we were going. And that is absolutely, I think, the, the failure is that we were still trying to be secretive, which is something that back then I believed in heavily, that the, the DM should have secrets from the players, that the story should be this mystery that they're trying to discover and learn and unfold in front of them. And that that mindset... I don't think worked as well in that environment. And I think we would have been a lot better off if we had sat down and said, okay, for levels one through four, almost like a writer's room, like we're going to break out a season. This first season is going to be levels one through four for our characters. What do we think we're going to be doing? And, you know, I still wouldn't tell them everything as the yeah. quote unquote main DM, but definitely should have given everybody a lot more information than I did. And the, and the idea of trying to keep it from them ultimately is what doomed things i mean i think ultimately what doomed is i moved and that that's when that group fell apart i mean i well i fell out of it i think they were still playing together yeah but that campaign was not going to survive much longer because we were each we were each still trying to we didn't have a show runner okay we didn't have a head writer and we had a we had a writer's room but everyone was still kind of their own even though i was quote unquote the the main dm i wasn't acting like the main the head writer and i wasn't doing the things a main writer would do in a TV show structure where I would say, no, yes, no, yes. I was just like, sure, everything is okay. But I was too focused on my stuff and not enough on theirs. Yeah. To me, that sounds like I've never done it. I've never done any rotating games before. I, because I think it was only until recently, like within the last couple of years, there hasn't really been anybody else in my game who has is a dungeon master or who feels comfortable or wants to do that yeah. until recently when uh jake obviously joined my my game jake's a wonderful dungeon master and this was something that i was thinking about i would like to do like like the whole idea of like a collaborative kind of creative process sounds really appealing working with somebody to do some world building and then come up with some sort of loose structure but I don't know how that would work practically. Uh, so one of the things 
I wanted to ask you is, so, like, you had, did you say, like, four Dungeon Masters then? Yes. Whoa. So did you have... Maybe di- even five. Wow. Did you guys have different characters then based on who was running the game? No. So so everybody had their own character. And when, like, I was running, my character just set out that mission. And so then, like, say the next week, Jake would play. Rob's character, Jason's character, Rich's character were all the same characters. My character came back, but then Jake's character stepped out. And then when Rob would run, Rob's character would step out, Jake's character would come back in, but my character and Rich's character would all be the same character. Okay, uh, then it's kind of, this is a, I'm going to jump around a little bit because I want to talk about this too. Not just rotating characters, but how as a dungeon master can we then handle like characters and players? Because you know, like not everybody's character, or not everybody can show up to every session then. Right. And well, in this, this situation was a little bit... Uh, you guys are actually like pulling players out, right? So, well, I want so don't 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 let me forget that. One thing I wanted to mention is there's still there's like two versions of the collaborative DMing thing that I at least want to touch on, and one is where you are collaborating with other DMs to run a game that those DMs are not part of. So it's like a, more like a co DMing, like me and you work together oh. to create an adventure. But I am not a player too, so maybe maybe my stuff is just all behind the scenes, and like we just work together to like create the story, build the monsters, or you know the settings. But then on game night, I'm not there, or maybe game night I am there, and I, I run the monsters, you run the story, or however we want to divide it. But what I've always done is the where I'm a player and a DM when my turn comes up. So I think there's a couple different. I mean, I don't know we touched on that back then, but that's another topic I would like to explore at some point. Is like true co DMing versus rotating DMing. The so with that said then, would you have like was there would there just be sessions then that you just wouldn't be a player or a dungeon master and somebody else would be the dungeon master then? Um so I so I've not done that. Yeah. So so, so for me I don't know but like what I know of it is that at the table like me and you would be there together assuming this is a real table we're both dming at that moment we have a group of players who are not part of the dming circle it's just you and i but we we co-dm so again maybe between sessions we brainstorm together we we create together we write together and then during the actual game we could have divided responsibilities again where maybe i play certain npcs you play certain npcs maybe you do the overall dming function like normal like you know Okay, it takes three days to get to the Cave of Wonders, and then I step in and go at the, you know, and then I, I, I don't know, I don't know how you would divide. It. I yeah. guess you could divide however you want, uh, but that, but there's a version of that where you co DM with neither of you being quote unquote players. Okay. What we did was rotating where we all had our own players, and we would just take turns DMing. Uh, again, think of like a TV show, uh, X Files being a good example. Yeah. The player thing is, you know, again, I've, I've always been a big believer that if a player doesn't show up, you just keep playing if you can, because I, don't, I think you start canceling sessions, things fall apart, but that that player just sort of fades into the background and they, they're not really going to die unless like everybody else, if it's TPK, they die too, but otherwise they're fine. Uh, so having rotating players, I don't think is that big of an issue the way I would handle it anyways, but, but, but our format the player wasn't there, but not there. They literally weren't there because we had that thing where this was a mission where we leave a home base, we go off to a faraway land, we have a mission, and then we come back before the next mission starts. So we had that sort of serialized TV structure. So we just had that episode where 
my character wasn't there because they had to deal with some backstory BS that we might touch on in the future. Like, hey, I have a new hat. So, like, you know, like, where'd your hat come from? And then I talk about how, I, you know, my, my sister gave it to me or whatever. Uh, so in that structure, it actually was very easy. So if, if a player couldn't show up for just like we didn't expect them to, to not be there, we could just say their character wasn't there either. And it was fine. Or if, if like it was like a two shot and they missed one of the two, then they were there, but we just didn't really deal with their, their character didn't have any screen time. So that's funny. So one of the, I wanted to bring this up because in the in this episode of Dungeon Talk, you talk about a story, something that happened. So basically, I don't know if you remember this, but in this game that you were doing with the rotating uh, Dungeon Masters, the previous session, you were not there. Michael was not there as a player you weren't there as the dungeon master somebody else was running the game and they wound up killing half the party yeah so this was a different this was my other experience with this this was in cincinnati uh with joe and i can never remember joe's brother they were brothers they're they're brad's cousins and that's how i got to know them so i was playing in a campaign where we were again rotating dms and yeah I, i wasn't able to make the game i don't remember where and i got a call I literally got a phone call, I think, from Brad and said, um, so we just killed like half the party. We need to know, do you want to have your character die? We're just going to start over. Or do you want your character to live? And this is absolutely the worst version of that rotating DMing where I think it was just the group in Cleveland. We did not sit down and talk about our shared expectations. But I think as a group, we sort of had the same sort of expectations. And in Cincinnati, we did not. We absolutely did not have the same expectations. And it was a terrible experience, and I pretty much hated it. Um, I like to run low-level campaigns. Like, yep. that's my, my favorite wheelhouse. And I remember that I believe that, like, I think I went first. And I'm pretty sure the next DM, the very first thing they did was give us some sort of teleporting box, and all of our ca- characters went to Sigil or Sigil, that planescape world between yep. worlds where there were like 30th level brass dragons polymorphed into humanoids at, at taverns. And it was like, like we went from this small adventure to like uh, just a uh, uh, beyond size and scope that I found interesting. So right away I was kind of much checked out. And then this other DM who was newer and, and part of the benefit of rotating DMs for me was to try to give people a chance to DM who maybe hadn't done yeah. it before. It's like a low risk, you know, you do have, we have to do one session, three hours. And no matter how bad you do, as long as we all don't die, it's okay. You know, it's, and so it's like a low risk, high reward, introductory DMing structure. You got a bunch of DMs at the table. We can help you in the game if we have to, you know, but just dip your toes in the water. And then we have a, a DM who, made an encounter who had absolutely no idea what they were doing. And they threw a monster against the party, not knowing what it could do. And then when they got into the fight and they did a thing and they realized, Oh, this is going to kill everyone rather than saying, okay, that's not what happened. They're just like, I guess. And everybody had to roll saves against like an instant death effect. and Everyone failed. I mean, it was literally one of the worst experiences you can imagine as a player. You have a brand new DM and, not to say that you can't have a brand DM that doesn't know what they're doing. That's fine. But that DM needs to understand that, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. So if I do something that's going to kill everyone's character 
and they have literally almost no chance, then maybe this is the wrong thing and I should rewind, we should retcon and say that just didn't happen. And it's, it's, I think it's more fine to say, you know what, I messed up, that encounter didn't happen, we all just woke up from a shared dr fever dream, or you all pass, just no one rolls, you all pass this save, I didn't realize reading it now, oh my god, this is too tough, everyone gets a free legendary action, you all, you all pass your saves, and then let's, let's keep going. I, I just think DMing and being a reasonable person shouldn't be opposite sides of yeah. the spectrum, and sometimes it seems like they are. Yeah, definitely, it's okay, especially in a situation like that. Uh, it's okay to come above, talk above the table, and have a meta narrative, and just you're playing a game. It's not like because it happened in game. Uh, that's reality. We can't change it. It's like mm -hmm. the whole we're playing pretend here, folks. We can we can change it. So I guess really. So what'd you wind up doing then? That was the end of that campaign. If, from what I recall, I and mean, at least for me, I think I was done. And if, if I'm not wrong, that might have been like the end of that group. Oh, that's, uh, whoa, big old wolf there. Well, well and here's the thing. And, and again, I, hopefully I'm not talking outside of school. I did not particularly enjoy playing with Joe and Joe's brother. And again, I, it kills me. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Because they were brothers and they would just constantly bicker with each other at the table. <laughs> And so, I mean, it was typical brother behavior, but it was brother behavior brought into my yes. circle and it made me uncomfortable, especially like when one was DMing, they would like kind of be jerks to their other to yeah. their brother from the DM's chair. And I just did not like it at all. And then I actually had sort of a personal falling out with, with one of them. We had some ideological differences, like uh, political, and we... I mean, I I regret some of my actions. I wasn't like horrible about it, but like on Facebook, I'd be like, "That's not true. That's not true." Snopes, Snopes, that's not true. That's not true. And so I think we kind of stopped wanting to play together uh, separately. Yeah, it's funny that you. I know this is off topic, but I have also played with my brother, and he is was one of my original players, and one of the and he was also Caleb was in our uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist campaign he's one of the best players ever as far as role play goes gets into the story he's great but it's it is so true siblings playing together at a table we totally wanted to butt heads several times and it was always in in good fun and we had but yeah i totally get it you you're, you and your siblings are on a different wavelength than most people mm. so i get that so okay so rotating dungeon masters then so based on your experiences then uh, what were some tips then? What are some tips then to, that you think some, if we could bullet point this, what are some things that we can do to make this work if we want to go to a rotating DM structure then? So I definitely think having more of like a writer's room structure would help where everyone sits together and you talk in big picture what you want the overarching story to be, if any. Because you could do one where there isn't a mythology episode. You could just do freak of the week, mystery of the week type of games where that's just the way it works. You go out, you have an adventure, you come back, reset, go out on the next one. Uh, so I think having an idea of what that overall structure looks like, the pace of the campaign, the power level, like, you know, again, I particularly like to run slow games, but that may not work for everyone. But as a group, we need to decide, like, every adventure, is that going to be a level? So like, um, if I go first, do I run uh, an adventure when it's over, you're now level two? Or do we want to do something else? And maybe like for the first three levels, it's one-to-one, -one, but then it's like two-to-one. 
because that's what kind of what happened to us is one DM wanted us to have these really high uh, level yeah. power campaign play ca- characters or they wanted to run a higher level campaign. And the only way to make sense is we had to be higher level to do it. So then we, they were jumping us levels, which for me as a player, I hate, which is why I do it as a DM. But if I knew that going in, maybe I could have ready myself for those expectations. So surprisingly, a clear communicative, maybe, I don't know, session zero yeah. about the whole story. Ding, take a drink. Uh, might have probably helped out a whole lot. And then I think what you're saying is the ability for every player to be like, time out, above the table, this is not what we were talked about, or this seems to be going a different direction. Are we sure? You know, then reset back to the table and carry on. I, I think that would have been very, very helpful. But I was still in that mode where the DM has all the power and I have to keep everything secret. And then when I handed that power over to someone else, they did something as a player I didn't like and it caused a fracture. So clear communication, definitely. And then other games might work better. Okay. Something like uh, Mystery of the Week. It's kind of built for that sort of thing. It's like, okay, you're playing Supernatural type of brothers or Buffy the Vampire or Scooby-Doo. Every episode is its own separate thing. And every now and then you could have like recurring characters or callbacks, which can be fun. But for the most part, there are games that are built more for uh, serialized or not serial. What's the opposite of serialized? Uh, I have no idea. Yeah, there's 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 uh, episodic. That's it. Okay. Episodic storytelling where each episode is literally in and of itself completely removed from all the others. So it's it's contained. It's singular. And I, so again, I think D and D can absolutely work, but there are other games that might fit that structure better. Yeah, I definitely think. Uh, yeah, so your, your monster mystery of the week stuff. I'm trying to think if there's any other games that I would want to do this. I think Fate would potentially work pretty well, just because it kind of it kind of builds itself up to that episodic kind of way, or like something like uh, Feng Shui, or uh, just some well, other. Fate and, and Savage Worlds are both sort of generic systems, so you could build a more Freak of the Week, Mystery okay. of the Week type of game from within it. Um, I think Fate works more cinematically, which if you're trying to build it sort of like a TV show, that fits, because then you can do just a lot of thematic, cinematic action within those, because the rules are pretty light. So I definitely think Fate would work, Um because it's more because it's a generic system than because of how fate works itself. Yeah. The, the one other thing that, even though I've never done it, I think if you were to do something like this, having a shared collaborative workspace in the sense that using tools like, I, well, I'm such a huge fan of World Anvil right now. I'm like, I love it so much. Something like World Anvil or even something more simple, just like a shared Google Doc where you guys can just dump notes or thoughts in there so everybody can kind of see what people are thinking. Just some yeah. more active collaboration. Uh, yeah, those are the tools that I didn't have any thought process or you know any knowledge of. But I definitely think those would be helpful. And I would say one of the things that I would like to see from that type of experience is something where maybe as a DM, I throw out, again, a Michael Random, oh, that NPC has the most vibrant blue eyes you've ever seen, and it's just a throwaway detail. And usually I wait for my players to latch on to something like that, and then when I see they think it's important turn it into something, it would be really fun for a different person to go, that was an interesting detail. When I'm the DM, I'm going to make that important. 
Okay. That would be really kind of cool to see how they pick up on little things that are insignificant to the overall story, but then they make them important when it's their turn. I think that would be a really fun way to see that story evolve where I throw out an NPC at random and in the next next DM's like, that's the person who the murder mystery is a ramp. Maybe they don't die, but maybe they're the one coming to you for help because their twin brother who they thought was dead is back. Is it a doppelganger? Is it a ghost? You know, yeah. I just, I'd, lo- I'd love to see how the the story almost Jenga stacks rather than unstacks with other people picking up on things and making them important. I think that's like the ber- the best version of that in my mind. That'd be sweet. So, so is there anything that some pitfalls to avoid that are not just opposites of what we just said so are there like anything that you can say that's not like obviously we know uh not communicating and not collaborating are pitfalls but are there any other kind of pitfalls that you would say yeah avoid doing this i would say avoid trying to make your character important when you're not the dm (laughs) oh that's a good idea (laughs) i I, I mean i could see that where there's still there's like um a what's the word i'm looking for here an altruistic version where you're not trying to make them like a DM PC, but just like, oh, this will be cool. My character is the one who's in jail for a crime they didn't commit. So everyone else has to, you know, so it's like, it's like you're taking your character out of the story, but you're still making this the center of the story. I can see an altruistic version where you're, where you're doing that. You thinking it would be fun, but I have a hard time thinking it's going to work out the way that maybe people envision. I think it works better just to say my character went to see their cousin and they're yeah. not here today. So this adventure will not include me at all. Yeah, for sure. I think if like you're at, you got to be real careful with that. I didn't even think about that. If you're the player that week, like trying to make your character, like the epic hero or the main protagonist, then what do you do? Like when you get to be the dungeon master and you've made your character like so pivotal, to the story do you now like all right yeah you're i am now the main character and that just feels like those are that kind of reminds me of like the bad stories you hear of like games with like you said the dmpcs and everything so or you have like loot situations where it's like hey look you found a plus two halberd fortunately none of you use it but my character does if you just hold on to it that's awesome you can give it back to me next week that's that's big brain right there that's that's good stuff right there okay well no this has this has all sorts of ideas uh churning in my mind now i'm really thinking uh because like i said last time i backed the one ring kickstarter i really want to do a lord of the rings shared dming experience because like in the books and movies you have these separate groups of games but it would be almost like two concurrent games going so basically one dungeon master you're doing the campaign with these players over here in this part of the the land and then when i'm running we're this other group of characters who are over here but then there's this some sort of shared threads in between and like i mean lord of the rings is like built for that so i i I think i've got some ideas now so very very interesting Uh, as always we like to throw it out to the audience anyone who's listening please if you have experiences, good or bad, with a rotating DMing uh, setup, a co-DMing setup, or rotating players, let us know how it went in your experience. What worked? What didn't? What would you do differently? What advice would you give to someone else so that we can help share that wealth and knowledge to maybe some other people who will benefit from it? 
Absolutely. Uh, Tom, thank you so much again. I really appreciate you putting in the extra effort to go back and listen to the old episodes and pull out talking points and, and again, being the driving force for bringing faculty meetings back because I obviously love them very much. Mm-hmm. So if people want to interact with you, if they want to thank you for, yes. for this service, or if they want to <laughs> give you some ideas for future topics, because at some point we are going to have yeah. to deviate away and get back to other things. So if there are things that you would like for Tom and I to cover in a faculty meeting format, that's not necessarily an old episode, send them to Tom through Twitter. So how can they find you? You can follow me at Bezcar Tom on Twitter. That's Mandalorian Metal Tom on Twitter. And absolutely, like Michael said, I love interacting with people who listen to the show. Also, this may not be a great idea, but my DMs are open on Twitter. So if you want to join our Discord, go ahead and shoot me a message there, or you can shoot Michael a message and we'll give you that Discord link. Uh, and yeah, so you can come. We do a lot more deep dives on the Discord, talk about all sorts of stuff there. So, uh, And you can find me at the RPG Academy. If you'd like to email me comments, questions, concerns, please email me at therpgacademy at gmail.com and please do consider joining our Patreon campaign. I don't mention it nearly enough, but we have uh, 40-some people right now who give a monthly donation as low as $1 to help support what we do here. That helps pays for hosting fees, buying microphones as we need to, uh, and all the other stuff that we do here at the Academy. So it means a lot for those of you who already are our patrons, and it would be great if we could get a few more people to jump in. Uh, there's some cool stuff that you get, including patron-only exclusive episodes. The most recent one I did with Mike from... Or Michael, I should say, from Redemption, brought a tear to me, and I have been told at least one other patron started crying as well. So some of these are funny, some of them are reverent, and some of them are kind of uh, sappy and emotional. It's just you listening to me have conversations with people I enjoy talking with. So if that sounds like something you would be interested in, as little as $1 a month, you can join that club. All right, Tom, anything else before we wrap it up? Uh, uh, No, I I think we covered it. All right, so just the last thing to say here is just remember, folks, If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct. We'll see you next time. Thanks and good night.